Hi, everyone. I'm Anita Lustria, and for many years I did live radio. Then I transitioned to the podcast world where I feel I found my home. I love talking about spiritual formation, justice issues, and spiritual practices. Throw in the Enneagram, movies, and current events from time to time, and that's what you get on the podcast. I'm glad you've come along for the ride. Welcome to Faith Conversations. Welcome to Faith Conversations, everyone. So glad that you joined me for another week, another good conversation. I say that not because I'm involved, but because I know the guest is amazing. And you all know I'm a fan of the Enneagram, um, which sounds so trite to say that and say it that way. But the Enneagram has been a part of great transformation in my own life. I believe in it as an incredible tool for transformation in our spiritual lives and actually walking with a group of women at church through a particular book uh, for spiritual transformation with the Enneagram. So Suzanne Stabile, whenever she's available, I'm on board and excited to talk with her. And she has a brand new book just released called The Journey Toward Wholeness, Enneagram Wisdom for Stress, Balance, and Transformation. And I am always up for learning more about the Enneagram. And if you want a teacher, Suzanne Stabile is the one. She is an Enneagram expert. And uh, I'm so thrilled to welcome her back to Faith Conversations. Welcome back, Suzanne. Thank you, Anita. It's nice to be back. It's good to have a new book in the world. And yeah, I bet it is. Well, and and actually, I want to say, I didn't say this in the intro, but Um, you may or may not know I'm a spiritual director, uh, people in the podcast audience know that, and you have been instrumental, really the general editor, uh, I guess, I don't know the right term of this terrific series that InterVarsity has put out called, um, daily reflections, daily reflections. Thank Mm -hmm. you. I knew you would help me with that. So it's, you know, 40 days on being a blank, a one, a two, a three, all of the Enneagram types. Well, I've been um, listening to them on my walks um, just so I could be better prepared. And as I interact with people from uh, that are different types on a daily basis in the spiritual direction arena and have recommended many of them. I'm a big fan of uh, 40 days on being a three. It is tremendous. I loved the one. Um, I am still remembering a lot about the seven and anyway, I have loved that series, highly recommend it, whatever your Enneagram type, uh, I encourage you to get it and don't blast through it. Don't read it, read, go through it. I told my three friends this, I bought one for a three friend, do not read, read it a day at a time as it's intended and sit with the wonderful questions at the end of chapters. So Suzanne, um, I love that series. Do you have any words to say about it before we move into your other book? I love the series too. And it was a, an honor to uh, be the series editor. I, I think the thing that stands out the most for me is that it's such a diverse group of authors. Yes. And I, I um, am in the shallow end of the water. <laughs> trying to begin to gather knowledge and then maybe some wisdom about cultural difference and racial diversity and the Enneagram. 
And um, InterVarsity Press did a, a really good thing when they chose the authors for this whole series. Um, um, the one uh, is black, the three is black, the four is Korean, the five is black, the seven is Chinese, the eight, her mom is Colombian and her dad Argentinian, and the nine is Puerto Rican. And that um, reality of uh, where they're from and the culture that formed them is all through what they're writing about being their Enneagram number. And there are a lot of things to say about that. The first is how lovely is it that you can be from a culture that is very different from ours and still find your Enneagram in predominantly writing done by white folks. Um, you know, I think the Enneagram is the, the way to communication for all of us with all of us. And um, the diversity was challenging. So I want to give you one example. Um, Sandra Van Opstel, who wrote the eight book, and she's a card carrying eight. Yes. But her mother was Colombian. And um, that means that she's good with feelings. And she's good with her feelings, because that's part of her Colombian heritage. And so some of the things that we would normally say, kind of offhandedly about eights are this way. She shares that it was hard for her to really know that she was an eight. In fact, at first she thought she might be a three because of that feeling dominance that comes from being part Colombian. And um, so, you know, there's just a lot learned and it's a deeper experience, I would say, because of the diversity than it appears to be on the surface. Uh, I am giving it thumbs up all around. I made note of that diversity as I began listening. And then I went online to look and see who the the various voices were for the different types. Loved that and found so much more richness in the series because of that. And I love that you brought that up and and had that concrete example as well. Um, Yes, so good. All, all around. So kudos to you and to InterVarsity Press for that. They really did it, I think. And um, I would also just second, you need to read it one page a day. Yes. Well, yes. I mean, one, one entry a day. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Too much is lost if you just kind of flip through there and then it's not reflective. Right. It's just taking in more and right. more and more. Absolutely. I I listened uh, all the way through to each audiobook because I was listening for a different purpose as it related to clients that I had and just general knowledge. But when it came to my type, I got the book (laughs) because I recognized it. I got the book for a friend, a three friend that, no, I need to read through this, sit with the questions and, you know, read it a day at a time, one entry at a time, one day at a time. So, yeah. Yes. I'm thirding your second. (laughs) (laughs) Great. That works for me. Well, we want to dive into your um, new book, which is called The Journey Toward Wholeness. I just saw the title when it first arrived at my house and I thought, 
I, I, it just, I gave a big sigh and I just thought, yes, the journey toward wholeness. I'm, I'm all about it. I need it. I'm grateful. Suzanne Stabile, I'm reading it. So this is a very different book in the sense that it does take us deeper in the Enneagram. And how do you describe it? Where do you uh, begin when you tell someone about this new book? Yeah. Well, I, I would start by saying that the road back to you was information, is information. And it is to help you absolutely know that you know your number. The second book, The Path Between Us, is knowledge. It's okay, now that I know my number, I want to know about other people and I want to know how to do that better. So it's relational and it's wearing Enneagram some. Mm -hmm. This one, I hope, is wisdom because ultimately the Enneagram is spiritual wisdom. And I'm grateful that it's very popular right now, but you know, there are two sides to everything. And um, that's tricky because sure. um, there are no shortcuts. It's like the daily reflection series. There's not a shortcut. You, you have to take 40 days if you're going to reflect. So I teach a lot, as you know, and I wanted there to be a path toward wholeness that included knowing yourself, knowing God, and knowing who you are in relationship to God, and understanding what happens on the journey that keeps you from connecting, mm. that keeps you from, con from connecting to the goodness that is you, from connecting to who you know God to be, and from connecting in a healthy, holistic way with others. Yes. Yes. I have said on the podcast many times, and I, uh, I really have take it, stolen this from others and it's kind of an, an amalgamation of that, but knowing God and knowing self is inextricably linked. And, you know, we read that in various quarters. You reassert that here in, in this book. And honestly, I thought at the very, very beginning, there's this quote from Richard Rohr that you include. And I thought, what a, what a great quote right at the beginning. The journey to happiness involves finding the courage to go down into ourselves and take responsibility for what's there. All of it. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. And that's, that says it. And, and you start taking us there. Yes. And, and I will always tip my hat to Richard Rohr. You know, he has been a dear friend of ours for years and um, a spiritual mentor and he taught me the Enneagram. So uh, what I've learned from him is unending. Um, the, you read it perfectly because all of it is the point. Yes. And we all come from backgrounds where uh, we get caught, I think, inappropriately in um, the, the only pattern we have, which is living, dying, and rising. Th that is the pattern. And it happens all day, every day. Mm -hmm. And um, there are traditions that focus on only one of the three. <laughs> and I think that makes it difficult for us to embrace all of it because we've been taught to set parts of it aside or to not talk about certain things or to bring only your best self. 
and that truncates the experience of knowing yourself and knowing who you are in relation to others and to God. And I, you know, I, I, I actually, uh, was able to sell the book to IVP. I'm not sure if that's the right language, but that's what happened, (laughs) um, before COVID. And the opening of the book has to do with talking about liminality and liminal space. And so for any of your listeners who don't know, liminality is when you're betwixt in between. It's when you're not where you were and you're not where you're going. And um, timing, huh? Exactly. (laughs) And I thought when, when COVID hit, I thought, oh man, I missed it. Like I should have already had the book out. And then I thought, oh, no, no, no. Now everybody's going to know what I'm talking about in terms of liminal space. And Richard Rohr actually says that liminal space is the best teachable space. And then he goes on to say, a lot of theologians are saying that. Richard goes on to say, it may be the only teachable space. And so my question then to begin the book is, what did we learn? What are we learning? And my concern is that the question wasn't on the table. So maybe we didn't ask it. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Uh, And, you know, it's interesting, the whole um, issue with COVID that we have all been in this liminal space and some are very much still there. Others maybe moving out a little bit from that, but, um, regardless, still kind of an uncertain future. Um, I think most of us kind of look forward and go, huh, uh, we're tired, which is, uh, I think sometimes that weariness puts us in that liminal space too, mm-hmm. or maybe it's a byproduct of the liminal space. And, um, wondering, is there still another shoe to drop? I already thought the other shoe dropped, you know, there's just so much, I feel like we are kind of living in the unknown, which I guess it all comes back. That is liminal space, isn't it? I'm trying to redefine it. No, it's all liminal space still, Ah, but I want to be out of it. So does everybody, but we are at least acknowledging where we are and some, and maybe more than would have are beginning to learn and ask some of the better questions. And you're helping us do that. You're, you're really helping with that. So, so where do you go? You know, you talk about liminal space, um, but you're going to different places than I know, than I've learned in my past about the Enneagram. Um, So much of, of just general, the general Enneagram conversation is learning about the different types and then trying to discern what your type is. And I I always tell people, read about them, do not take a test until you have likely discerned what your type is through the reading of it and of the descriptors of the, you know, various types. But then our knowledge, then that's sort of where many people stop, you know, okay, Mm -hmm. I've, I know this, I'm not sure where to go after this, or, and maybe there's some limited understanding or limited knowledge about the triads, the feeling, thinking, and gut triad, or whatever. I'm not sure what language you use with that, but you go beyond that in this book 
And so where, where are you taking us? Where are you trying to take us through this, the journey to wholeness toward wholeness? Well, I think the, the Enneagram, uh, interestingly enough, shows us how we're broken and how we can be healed at the same time. Yes. And that, that's not common. It's interesting, in fact, how often those things are separated and you read a book about being broken, but you have to have another book about being healed, which doesn't address your kind of brokenness. So the Enneagram um, shows us that. And I find that the Enneagram is always helpful. Always. So I've been, uh, I studied the Enneagram for five years before I started teaching. And I've been teaching for 26 years. Wow. So I've been doing this for a very long time. And I uh, know that there's so much more to it than knowing what your number is and knowing the type of your friends or people you live with and working hard to be respectful of that. And that's good. That's a good, but it's a limited good. And there's always more. So my work, because of how I see the world, has been the Enneagram and, and I've done that work all along. And what I figured out along the way in the overarching piece of this, and then I'll speak individually to each part is that if you, if you cannot manage your dominant center, then you can't do the rest of the work. So in the 1940s, a lot happened. Gurdjieff uh, is probably the modern grandfather of the Enneagram, and he started offering Enneagram teaching in his school. And um, Ichazo and Naranjo came out of that, and they started offering their Enneagram teaching. And we're now only in the 1970s when something is published for the first time. Wow. So I don't think I put that date on it. That's really interesting. So I started reading in the early eighties. And so I was able to read everything because there wasn't much. Right. Right. And then I just kept adding and adding, reading what people had written and what they were thinking about the Enneagram. And in, in reality, in the 1940s, three things happened that make it the Enneagram that we're talking about today. Gurdjieff, work is one. The second is a man named Maurice Nicole, who was from England, wrote a paper and came out and said, there are three centers of intelligence. And the three centers are thinking, feeling, and doing. And everybody receives information first, either through thinking, feeling, or doing. So it was possible then to lay Maurice Nicole's work on top of the Enneagram. And what was obvious immediately was that twos, threes, and fours all greet the world first with feeling, five, sixes, and seven with thinking, and eights, nines, and ones with what am I going to do? And that's astonishing. It's astonishing that you can take an ancient wisdom that is resurfacing through Gurdjieff and take Maurice Nicole's work and add it to that and end up with three numbers side by side as you divide the nine numbers into three triads. 
Then at the same time, a woman named uh, uh, Dr. Karen Horney. And Horney said, you know, and, and she was German American in 1947, I think, um, living in the United States. And she said, all people either move toward other people or they move away from other people or they stand against other people. So if you take the Enneagram, you put Maurice Nicole's work on top of that. You put Horneye's work on top of that. And what that ended up showing us is that every triad had one person that moves toward, one number that moves against, and one number that moves away from. That creates Enneagram stances. And so in triads, the goal is to understand what's dominant, thinking, feeling, or doing. But in stances, what you have to learn about yourself is what's repressed, thinking, feeling, or doing. And for my uh, work thus far, all the magic is in stance work. Because balance is handled there. And you have an imbalanced approach to life using your three native intelligences of thinking, feeling, or doing, unless you can manage the one that's dominant, appropriately use the one that supports the dominant, and bring up the one that's repressed. I have so many questions where to begin. <laughs> uh, I, I find this fascinating. I have found it fascinating for a long time. Just my own personal history with the Enneagram. I went through Jerry Wagner's mm -hmm. Uh, program uh, many years ago. And mm -hmm. honestly, to be honest, I still feel kind of like a novice, but I do try and grab and read new things coming out and keep on top of things. This, to me, this is like the newest information that has kind of blown my mind um, a bit as I've been reading through the journey toward wholeness and figuring out, oh, all right, I'm on the path. I am, I am growing in some of these ways, but but I've got further to go. I've got, you know, this has been mm -hmm. so interesting to me. And I think it's, uh, it's uncovered a, a variety of things, not the least of which was something really small that, that the people closest to me are a seven and an eight and I'm a three. Wow. And I did. <laughs> That's a lot of energy. I know. <laughs> I, yes, actually an, a, another three and a seven and an eight. Uh, and I, I don't think I realized that, but I recognize that sometimes after a great in-depth conversation, I'm kind of like worn out. And I've been trying to figure out if I'm worn out by my, from my own energy or mm -hmm. from the other energy mm -hmm. in the room. Now mm -hmm. I'm figuring out maybe it's from all of the above. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that's a very interesting group for us to talk about Yes, because um, you have one from each triad, which means that you have a three who's feeling dominant and a seven who's thinking dominant and an eight who's doing dominant. But those three numbers are make up the aggressive stance. That's what I made note of. So, yeah. yeah. And so you're a lovely group of people. I would guess, cause you're lovely. And I've been talking with you over the years, but, but that whole group is feeling repressed. Yes. And we've been talking about that. We're not all friends with each other, but they are all friends of mine. And individually, individually, I've been talking about that with my seven friend for many years and more recently with the three and the eight friend. And 
and this is also really interesting to me as well. Um, many years ago now, I can't put a number on it, but um, an executive coach did back when I used to do midday connection with Moody Radio, mm -hmm. an executive coach gifted us uh, with doing some personality profile things with the team. And I, I didn't know that, that feeling, I, I thought I was a thinking person. This was not the Enneagram, but I ended up a feeling person. Mm -hmm. And I still look back at this and laugh. I sobbed when I found that out. <laughs> it's hilarious. I cried. I remember because I counted up nine Kleenex that were on the table at in Panera Bread as people around watched me sob. Watch you this. crying. Because I was a thinker. I'm not a feeler. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. In the well, better. Uh, you are, but yeah, um, that's right. And I, the butt is big and I'm, I fully inhabit that, butt. so go, you go ahead with that. Okay. Well, the three, six, and nine are the core numbers of the three triads. And what that means for you as a three is that you take in information with thinking. I mean, with feeling, mm -hmm. sorry, you take in information with feeling, but you don't use feeling to process and make sense of the information that you've taken in. Right. And so you are a thinker yes. because what happens as soon as you've taken in information from your environment is thinking and doing or doing and thinking. And those two things make up how you get through the day. It's a, it's a real gift that you have that you uh, can read a room. So my assistant is a three and um, when we're anywhere, she can read the whole room at one time. And if the overall room is tracking and following and all is well, she's good, but I'm a two. So I'm also feeling dominant, but I'm thinking repressed and there's no magic in me. Cause I'm not a core number. I'm just thinking repressed. And so I pick up feelings from all over the room. And then I go after the person I don't have. I get caught in the one instead of the many because I process with feelings too. Yep. Yes. Totally get that. And yeah, I've seen that in myself. Um, and one of the things that I read about in the journey toward wholeness also, uh, I, I think what was so interesting to me, number one, this is new information for me, the, the dominant and repressed center mm -hmm. that the center of the feeling triad, which I am the three ha that the feeling is both the dominant and the mm -hmm. repressed mm -hmm. that. And is it like that with each of the, the centers of each of the triads, something? Yes, it is. It's all six is same. Sixes are thinking Think dominant and thinking repressed and, thinking repressed. and nines are doing dominant and doing repressed. Suzanne, this is interesting. Um, my husband and my son is now 29 married and, but, but in his growing up years. So I'm a three, my husband, a six and my son, a nine. <laughs> so we, we were quite the household as I started learning about the Enneagram mm -hmm. and, you know, learned this, it was really, really interesting. Um, sometimes helpful and sometimes not, but, uh, one of the things though, that comes up again and again, um, because of, you know, I tend to focus on, um, the learning on my type and, and my husband's often as well as the six, I probably know more about that as well, but, 
Um, this comes up all the time if that efficiency is a high value for me. Very high. Yes, it is. And I kind of joked about it and thought it was funny until it no longer was. And, and I have learned, am learning, I have not learned, I am learning to get in the car with my husband and relax and let him go the most inefficient way or whatever way, it doesn't mm -hmm. matter, to mm -hmm. not pay attention, but to enjoy the ride. I mean, literally mm -hmm. to yep. enjoy the ride. And it's kind of become a metaphor for me to move away from that efficiency, unless it's something that's really needed in the moment. But when it's not yet, needed. Yeah. yeah. So let, yet, let me, what? I want to give yeah. you a soft place to land with that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> if you're feeling repressed, then what you have learned is how to get a lot done quickly. Mm -hmm. And the thing that would keep you from that would be if you weren't feeling repressed. So the two centers that you end up using are thinking and doing and doing and thinking. And what slows people down for good or for not so good at times is feelings. Yes. And so what threes decide is, I don't have time to deal with this feeling right now because I've got these other things to do. Mm -hmm. So they set feelings aside. I'm going to put it over here and I'm going to come back and deal with it later because it's real important, but later doesn't come. Yes. Yep. I felt that and, around the death of my dad. It's like, oh, later's not coming. I need to deal with this. I mean, I, now. I chose to deal with it, yeah. but, uh, but I did set it aside in the moment thinking, oh, I'll deal with this later. Yeah. I need to be the professional Christian right now. Yeah. You know? Yep. Yeah. It's very, it's very tempting to continue to use two of the three centers because we made it this far. Mm -hmm. Right. So my response, when I found out I was thinking repressed was how can that be true? You know, I, I did well in college. I did well in graduate school. I look at I, all the books you've written. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm, I'm a thinker. Yeah. But, um, oh man, <laughs> when I was able to embrace that, I'm thinking repressed. So here's another example. So people will get a flavor of what we're talking about. Yes. Um, I take in information with feelings and then I do something about them. And the reason that um, I have to go get thinking what I finally learned about my inability to think is twos think a lot, but about 80% of the time, they're only thinking about relationships <sighs> and thinking about relationships won't get you a book. It yes. won't, it won't handle the business of your life. Yes. It, and that relationship thinking is so part of my rhythm mm -hmm. that I had to give myself ways to back up from that mm. so that I could learn to think productively. So it's about thinking productively. Yes. I'm, t I'm taking all that in. And, um, because one of the things oh, that, that I started thinking about was, oh, and I'm, I'm losing it. It had to do with the, um, it had to do with the feeling, you know, the do dominant and repressed center again. Mm -hmm. um, and, and maybe, uh, uh, I, oh, I know what it, what it is. So as a three, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I move toward people. I see myself move toward, I'm an introvert, but I still, I move toward people mm -hmm. so much. And yet a deeper experience of friendship mm -hmm. feels super risky. 
you know, and I'll, and I'll talk about that with friends. I, you know, it's not, I'm aware of that, but why would, what, you know, I think, well, I move toward people. Why would this be so, why would I kind of push me, pull you toward, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm kind of like that. Isn't that, it's so fascinating. Well, because you're feeling repressed, you don't share feelings and you find other people sharing their feelings to be very tedious. Hmm. So you move toward people for reasons that have purpose, not necessarily for relationship, which sounds horrible. No, it sounds like it sounds three. It just sounds like a three. Yeah. And, and so what you do then when you risk being personal, that's bringing up feelings. Yes. And so that's the, the, the statement. It's, I said this, not, you know, a while ago to a friend, I said, you know, this feels risky for me. I mean, I can yeah. state that and, yeah. you know, and, and actually, and that felt so good. It felt so good to be able to state that, that sure. feeling yeah, exactly. and still be safe. Right. And still absolutely. And still be safe. Yeah. Um, look, look at another, you know, just be, before we wrap things up, because I, I, it might be helpful to, um, to take a look or, or maybe for you to talk about actually, because I, I want, I want people, I always want people to go deeper with the Enneagram. And I, I don't know how to get the point across Suzanne. And I know you do because you're in this, that the journey toward wholeness is really an incredible book that can and will take people deeper. Um, I'm seeing that as I read it, I recognize that it takes some work as well. Uh, but that that is part of the journey of transformation. And if we're really willing to be on it, if we're really willing to mm-hmm. lean in and, and uh, grow our souls, you know, we're talking about this in, in the Christian realm. Mm-hmm. Um, your book does that. What, I mean, as you look at this book, what, talk to people about that. Um, well, I, I uh... Because this is a different kind of book. This is a different kind of book. It is very different. I I think what happened is that I figured out what I think the roadblocks are that we all hold in common. Ah, yes. Okay. And so uh, when when I start the book and talk about liminality, I'm talking Mm -hmm. about the reality that it's very uncomfortable to be in liminal space. And there's a lot of liminality around us that doesn't have anything to do with COVID. Yes. Technology is moving faster than we will ever catch up with. Yes. So when you learn something, it, it's no longer valuable because there's something new to learn. We are living in a very fast paced culture. And so one of the roadblocks is going with what you know, even though it's exhausting. So when we bring in triads, the reality there is that we're in using two of the three centers, we are only seeing one third of what's happening. And we're trying to respond to that with two thirds of what we should be using. And you can't effectively use thinking in place of feelings. So I bet you have said as a three, I think I feel. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, that's great, but you have to feel what you feel. Yes. So in our culture, we interchange thinking and feeling as if they mean the exact same thing. Just listen for it on the radio, watch for it on the news. People don't use those words for what they mean anymore. 
And so there's all this muck around what are those two things. The, the, there's no way to safeguard our souls with balance, which is what I think is necessary, unless we can manage our dominant center. So you can't just start in the middle of this. You have to do something that's somewhat linear and, let's, and yet cyclical. So if you can manage your dominant center, then what you will be able to see more clearly is how you respond to stress. And we live in a time that is highly stressful, regardless of where you are on the globe. And we, I think, got an incomplete look at stress in Enneagram work that uh, preceded how I see the Enneagram. And I learned it all from really great folks and I can't honor them enough. Mm. And it took me a long time to say, I don't think I agree with this. <sighs> Traditional understanding is that in terms of stress and security, when you make the move on the connecting line in the Enneagram to the number that is your stress number, it has always been assumed that you're going to the unhealthy side of that number. And when you make the move to your security number, um, other people use consolation, disconsolation. My, stress and security works for me because I know what those two things mean all the time. I don't have to think about what stress means. I get it. <laughs> and it is assumed that when you move along the line to your security number, that that's the healthy side. And I just don't think that's true because is, that would mean that yes. the Enneagram is not always helpful. And you are so right. I watched this summer here. I know we're in October, November. Um, I watched myself move toward my security number and it, and it was the underbelly of it. Yeah. I got yep. incredibly anxious and fearful about yep. finances. I never am. My six husband is the guy, you know, and yep. he, like, I looked at him, I said, how is it you're like much healthier in all of this? And, and we had this big conversation and then I read, started reading your book and I'm like, no, I, th this was really eye-opening. And I think one, of, another great aspect of the book that broke open in me was seeing that. And, and also the converse of that to see, and also to, I got excited about moving maybe toward that the high side or the healthy side of the nine where yeah. I've seen myself move toward the unhealthy side of it before, but sure. that the other is possible. It gave me great joy actually, because um, I've seen some of that happen in recent weeks and months because of some health issues. I've needed to move that way, but then to see that that actually could be natural and okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I just wanted to illustrate your point because I, it's just become real in my own life or I've seen it for the first time in the last few months. Um, and so there's so much in your book that I have seen for the first time and am beginning to experience. I've got further to go. Um, but I wanted to introduce it to everyone. I, I'm so excited about the Enneagram, but every single time I talk to an Enneagram 
person on the podcast, Suzanne, I, I'm, I am always kind of like this, but, 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 but I find myself not knowing where to start. And so I'm always glad to be talking to an expert like you to make sense of what it is that I'm trying to bring to the audience, because I think this is one of the most powerful tools for transformation I have ever seen. You know, I think uh, your illustration is so great for me to, to, to talk about one of the things I talk about in the book, and that is that you can't take care of yourself without the number that you go to in stress. You have to have behavior from that number. So I go to two in stress. So to illustrate the whole point that I'm making to go from an unhealthy two space to unhealthy eight space, that's not helpful. Mm. And the moves on the Enneagram, if, if it is consistent with all of the rest of Enneagram wisdom that I've learned. And as I know it, it should be helpful all the time. Mm. And so I, I think you can't take care of yourself without the number you go to in stress. And I think you can't experience holistic healing without the number that you go to in security. Mm. And you can't get to either one of those moves unless you can manage your dominant center and bring up your repressed center so that you're using each of the centers for their intended purpose. Suzanne, as as we wrap things up, one of the things that I want to say is some people will listen to this and it will just get them going for the first time with the Enneagram and they can grab the road back to you or mm-hmm. uh, the path between us, the path between us, um, another favorite of mine. And then there are going to be other people that are really going to track with this and they're going to go out and get the journey toward wholeness. Um, at, And I want to also make them aware of the fact that you are regularly doing retreats, seminars, workshops through the ministry that you're a part of. Um, Give that website and I will always also post it on the show notes. You might not have paper right now, but give where they can get more information. Okay. Life in the Trinity ministry.com. You can also get it at SuzanneStabile.com. Great. And we're going to do a 10 city book teaching tour. Nice. Uh, We tried to pick hubs. Uh, We started working on it three years ago to try to find hub cities that where people who are traveling to hear me teach wouldn't have to travel so far. Wonderful. um, I think that's going to be on the website in the next 10 days if it's not already up. Great. And I'm, uh, we're going to do an event on Friday nights. We're going to, um, do a um, podcast live or a Q and a at a coffee shop or something fun on Friday nights. And then on Saturdays, I'm going to teach for six hours. Fantastic. Uh, so loads of things to learn about on the website websites, either one of them, I'll post those in the show notes. And uh, I'm glad you said the word podcast. Um, You're listening to my podcast, but Suzanne has a wonderful podcast, Enneagram focused, of course. And I'll post a link for that as well. Um, The Enneagram journey. Thank you. Yeah. Tremendous podcast. And I guess we'll wrap it up there. People, you can go find more information, go deeper. And I highly commend any of Suzanne's books, but the journey toward wholeness is what we've been talking about today. Enneagram wisdom for stress, balance, and transformation. And as always, I say to everyone listening, keep the conversation going. Thank you. 